leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Hey, security peeps. We are live with another edition of Breaking into Cybersecurity. And this is a special edition with Federal Career Connection. I am Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter, helping uh, awesome leaders hire great talent. And I'm here with Chris Westbrook. Say hi to everybody, Chris. Hello. And Chris is here with us. Chris was here a few months ago sharing all of her knowledge about being in the CIA, being a, well, not all of it, but as much yeah. as she could as much as she could share about being in the CIA, about hiring in the in the process, recruiting. And we are so, so, so excited excited to have you back, Chris. Thank you, Renee. I was looking forward to coming back. I have to say, um, in advance of this, I was looking at some of your previous podcasts, and I just love how active all of your listeners are. Um, and so I look forward to a, uh, an interactive night. For those who didn't catch me last time, I spent 38 years in the federal government two years uh, working for the Senate, and then realizing I was not a very political animal, I moved to the CIA. And I started part-time while grad school, moved to full-time, and um, spent the rest of my career there because I didn't need to go anywhere else to follow what interested me and, and to get increased responsibility. I worked there as an analyst, a manager of analysts. I was in our recruitment center at 9-11, and so moved into high gear to hire analysts. And I'm proud to say I've, um, I hired a whole generation of analysts who are now in senior analyst and management positions. And I enjoyed working with people on the talent and recruiting side so much. The agency sponsored me to go back to graduate school, get a master's in human resource development, and after that, I stayed in the training and development field, um, both program management and my last job was as a deputy director of CIA's foreign language school. Um, I continued to be a hiring manager even after I left the recruitment center. So I can bring to you, gosh, I probably hired hundreds of people, interviewed hundreds, um, and I can give you insight into that process in CIA and maybe more generally the intelligence community. And I can talk about life and work at CIA for cybersecurity professionals. Um, there's a variety of ways that you all can use your talents in the cyber area for CIA and the other intelligence agencies. And I, I mean, when you were here last time, I was 
I was asking questions for myself. I know <laughs> our audience always asks great questions, but I was so fascinated by your career and what you've done. And pe- whoever wasn't here, Chris is a mom was in the CIA. I mean, I was just like, your mom was in the CIA. It's awesome. So Chris brought, brought such a wealth of knowledge, answered great questions, shared so much information with us. Um, so for all of you that are here, and I see there are a ton of people here already, uh, we are going to, first, I'm going to shout out some folks that are here. I always do that. Oh, and before I even get started with that, I want to talk about our, I'm going to shout this out before we get started. Um, we are having a, we've had our InfoSec hires uh, challenge this month and um, uh, CISO Thursdays. So everyone knows that we are on on Thursdays with our friends Chris Folon, James Azar, and Naomi Buckwalter. And all of us collected, collectively have been sharing resumes, sharing profiles around um, and trying to get 10 people hired in the month of January. And so right now we are at eight hires, eight people got hired in the month of January just by us putting it out there, using the community, hashtag InfoSec hires. So that's been happening. If anybody is still interested, um, we are just sharing the information around. If you either create a little mini video or write a blurb, the video, the lady, the young lady who did the video, she got hired like in a day. That's how fast it was. Um, so if you're brave and you want to create a, a little mini, you know, one minute, 60 second video telling us how awesome you are, we will post it, post it out there, hashtag tag us all and hashtag InfoSec hires. So that's number one. Number two is we have expanded and we're going to talk more about that tomorrow, but I want to share with you all that after January, um, the first challenge was James Azar's big mouth. The second challenge is Chris Folon's bigger mouth and he's really putting us to work because he um, has challenged us all to get 221 people hired in 2021. So that's going to be huge. <laughs> I said, Chris, that's four people a week. That's nuts. So this should be really, really big, really huge. So we'll talk more about that tomorrow. But I just want to put it out there that we've been, you know, actively getting people back into the, you know, entry level people mostly into the industry. Some of their first, some of them, it's their first job. So we are, you know, over the moon excited about doing this and continuing this on in the community. So um, that's InfoSec Hires. I will shout out a bunch of people. We already have a ton of questions, Chris. I told you it was going to be a busy yeah. night. <laughs> I told you it was going to be a busy night. So Simone says, hello. Hello, Simone. Hey, Pulin. He says, hello, everybody. Hi. I don't know who that is. Tin Prague. Hello, sir. Ben is here. Good evening, Ben. Um, Gary Cook is here. Clinton is here from the UK. So Clinton's another person. He he comes all the time. I had no idea he was in the UK until we chatted the other day. I'm like, what are you doing? It's the midnight over there. Yeah. <laughs> <Not asleep. laughs> so Poland wants to know, is a clearance require a requirement? And I'm assuming this is in regards to the CIA. So there's the first one, Chris. Yeah. A requirement. Yeah, for all positions at CIA, um, from uh, mail courier to senior level, a top secret sensitive compartmented information clearance is required. 
Um, you don't have to have any kind of clearance to apply. It doesn't really make a difference in the initial application process where we're really looking to see if you have the credentials we're looking for. If you do, we pay to put you through the, the clearance process. Perfect. So but then, of course, you need to be a, a U.S. citizen as well mm -hmm. and uh, residing in the U.S. throughout the time that you are in, in process for a job. And does it need to be the continental U.S. or it could be, can it be like um, Hawaii or Puerto mm -hmm. Rico and all that stuff? Okay, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Good stuff. So John um, De La Cruz, hello, John. And Timothy said, is there a path for older people just getting into cybersecurity to get into a government position or is the private industry a better bet for that? I can think of a couple opportunities. Um, the primary one for entry, if this is like a, a career pivot for you, a career change, would be if you have been back in school full-time and you are either in a full-time academic cybersecurity program or graduated from one in the past three years, you can um, be eligible in the federal government for internships, graduate fellowships, and a pathway through USA Jobs for um, for recent graduates. At CIA in particular, you actually need to be a current student as an intern or a graduate intern. Um, generally, I think CIA, like most employers, is looking for people to already have the credentials um, and then hire you in. So you would be needing to look at an entry-level um, position in cybersecurity and I don't know that CIA in particular would be a place for that. Um, right before coming on board, I went to CIA's website, CIA.gov, and right on the home page, they have a button for going to careers. So you can tell what CIA's priority is. It's, it's hiring. And if you put in cyber, as I did, um, you come up with seven different jobs in the um, cyber area, including undergraduate internship, um, co-op and graduate fellowship. Um, co-op for people who are in school, we, um, especially if you're in the local area, you can be going to school and working for us part-time at the same time. Or you could go to school for a semester and then come to work for us for a semester um, in a real co-op position where you're getting uh, academic credit for that service if your institution sponsors um, co-ops. So just to continue, the other, um, you know, with those seven job postings for folks in the cyber area, in addition to the two student positions, um, basically, you can handle, you can do cyber in any part of CIA, the analytic part, where I was, there's a cyber threat analyst. In that case, you would be looking at foreign cyber capabilities, um, both defensive and offenses, and analyzing them, analyzing their technical capabilities, and then working with political and military analysts to look at a foreign actor's intent. Um, so you'd want to know, for example, that um, 
you know, some criminal element that is looking at, to hack into um, U.S. networks. Um, you're looking at their intent, who they're targeting, as well as how technically capable they would be. Uh, so that is research, writing, and um, giving assessments to policymakers, warfighters, others in the government about the cyber threat internationally. Um, if you're interested in the kind of traditional side of CIA working overseas and operations, um, collecting intelligence in the field, there is also a cyber operations officer. So you can go the clandestine route and you would undergo the same specialized training for serving overseas as other operations officers. Uh, we also have a cybersecurity officer. In CIAs, you can imagine our office of security is one of the, the biggest and mo most robust in the organization. And you can build a full career just um, looking at uh, the security of our, our own systems and the threats to them. Um, and then we also have a cybersecurity researcher. Um, that's a new one to me. So I'm looking at that. Ah, that is in the scientific and technical side of CIA, where you're doing research to actually improve our own, CIA's own tools um, related to cybersecurity. Um, whether we're defending our own operations or uh, perhaps conducting operations overseas against foreign adversaries. So basically with a cyber background, you can work in any part of CIA, um, overseas or here in the Washington DC area. Awesome. So Chris, when you talk about credentials, there's a ton of questions here. Well, first, I, I want to answer the other piece with Timothy Graham when he asked about um, the private industry, uh, private industries as, as always open to folks with who want to pivot into the industry. Um, so, you know, Chris is here to answer all the good, really detailed information about the federal government, the CIA and intelligence community as a whole. But from the private private industry side, there is definitely a path. I, I don't know which is which is better or or worse. It just depends on what a person is, you know, looking to do in their career. Yeah, so. my guess is that most of the agency positions, except for the student interns, they're looking for some years of um, experience in the field mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, because that's. You know, the private sector in many ways has an edge on some technologies that we do not have. And so we deliberately try to hire at all levels from entry through experience so we can be getting the best from the private sector or other parts of the economy. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So I'm going to shout out some more people before we get to a question. So Clarence says hi. Simone is excited about all the people who, who got their new jobs. Um, Dominique is actively looking. So Dominique, I know you're in here looking. Hopefully you'll be one of those 10 this month. Uh, hi from New York City. Let's see. So Poulin wants to know if they go through, he has a couple questions. So I'm going to get down to his bigger question down here. If you okay. go to USA Jobs, but I know down here he said, um, 
He has been super interested in federal jobs. He's tried through USA jobs across many agencies, but never get shortlisted. He has experience in cybersecurity and wants to know, have you, have you heard that you need a long seven to eight page resume if you are experienced? Is that true? Yes, basically that is true. Um, when you apply for a federal job, the, the federal government wants to know about every job you've had in the last 10 years and the skills and um, experience that you've obtained in each. So a federal resume does end up being quite long. For someone mid-career, it's easily you know, five to seven pages. Um, in fact, there really isn't a length restriction. It should be as long as you need to provide specific examples of when you have demonstrated the skill um, that is in the job posting as required. What you demonstrated um, and then what the result and the impact was. So yeah, um, federal applications for the civil service jobs are through USA Jobs and um, it's a long application. If you are applying to an agency like CIA that is accepted service, um, we don't list our jobs generally on USA Jobs. So you have to go to the CIA website or the Defense Intelligence Agency website and apply from there. Um, there is also one for the intelligence community as a whole that some agencies use. And there, for CIA, they ask you right at the beginning, um, basically almost to fill out a standard form 86, where you're, you're giving not only your your technical and other credentials to be qualified for the job, but you're also providing a lot of the information that then would be used to give you a security clearance if you are accepted for a job. So it's, it's I think, deliberately actually um, difficult upfront to apply to the US government and especially to CIA because they often, they think, um, and I actually, I countered that in, our, in one of the recruitment reforms that we went through. And I was overruled. I was trying to make it easier for applicants. But the seniors said, we want to make sure people are really committed and interested to this mission and this agency. And so we're going to make it really hard at the beginning. And if people are discouraged, I guess they're not committed enough. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. it's a tough it place to work. <laughs> I'm telling, telling you up front. <laughs> okay, awesome. Uh, once so you're in, um, you, you once you're in, you actually can move to new areas and actually be trained for it. Um, so CIA is good about the training and the growth once you are in the organization. Then they don't want to lose you. So they will pay for you to get additional certifications or even to do a career pivot like I did because it was in the agency's interests as well as mine. Right. That's awesome. So Stacy is here. Hi, Stacy from Atlanta. I haven't seen Stacy in a long time. Simone, uh, okay, she gives she was given his an, an answer here. This person is interested. So people are very much interested. Are there any marketing or corporate communication jobs in the CIA? We um, I shouldn't say we, I'm retired, but I still do. <laughs> um, CIA has an Office of Public Affairs. 
And within that, they have people who deal with the media, who deal with public communication, and who deal with internal communication to CIA. So there are a variety of communication jobs. Um, within our recruitment um, center, there are people who actually work with experts in the private sector on the advertising, marketing, and branding of CIA as an employer. So yes, the long answer is yes, there are. And is it the same process? So it's the same kind of filling out. So regardless of what type of role you have, you yep. same, you know, almost like an SF, it's called SF-86. Yeah, Standard Form 86 is the federal government's form for applying for a top secret security clearance. Steve Upshaw wants to know what certifications are preferred? Pentest, CEH, OCSP. And I guess I'll tack on my question to this. When you talked about people needing, you know, when when a person arrives at the CIA and applies, Mm -hmm. that you all... uh, that they already have the credentials. When you said credentials, what credentials were you specifically speaking about? Well, um, in the cyber field, I have to admit, I am not familiar with what specific credentials are being looked for. I do know CIA is um, getting increasingly flexible as are other employers about that not necessarily meaning um, an academic degree in Um, say, computer engineering or another field. It could be certifications. Um, You'd have to look at the specific job postings to see. I just pulled up um, cybersecurity officer and um, they say they have, um, they don't have a lot of, they say desired qualifications and instead of listing certifications, they're talking about abilities. Um, networks, operating system, application layer, and cloud security expertise, system security penetration testing knowledge, big data cyber analytics, network mapping. So it looks to me like they're looking for the range of um, cyber-related applications. Right. Um, They do mention professional certifications at the end of that job posting, but they don't list specific ones. I think that's because they're trying to keep flexibility. Um, They don't want to rule out good candidates because they only mention these certifications and not, you know, two or three others. So that's a plus for you all. You have, um, you have a lot of room within which with a general job posting like that, that you can claim you meet the credentials need requested. Now, Chris, do most people have to have a bachelor's degree? Is that across the board or is it case by case? Um, I would say it's generally required, but uh, it can be waived. Okay. Like this, this position calls for a bachelor's degree in computer engineering, computer science, cybersecurity. Um, but you know what? When I was a senior hiring manager, I approved waivers when we found people with specialized um, qualifications, knowledge that, that we could use. And I'm, I'm curious if you remember, I mean, I know you went, you, like you said, you interviewed and hired hundreds of folks. 
when you say, because this comes up very, very often around a degree versus not a degree and how to get in and how to break into the industry and all of that. So when you say specialize, and I, there's a reason why <laughs> it's, I hope you remember one of them, at least when this specialized skill, is it typically someone who, you know, may have been like a veteran, but they have like a really niche skill set that's really you know difficult to find in the industry? Um or, or could it have been a person who was relatively entry when, when they're really entry level and they don't have much experience at all? I'm assuming that you have to have, you more or less have to have a bachelor's. Like you probably are not going to be able to, to get in. But if you have extensive experience in something niche and specialized, but. Right, right. Like a lot of, you, you mentioned veterans, a lot of former military folks were um, enlisted and became specialists in fields that that are very useful at CIA and may not necessarily have the academic degree. Right. Yeah. That's a good example of where we, um, we might be taking a chance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, Ivner wants to know tips or advice for federal cybersecurity position interviews. Do you have any advice? Well, based, based on CIA's process, um, we would generally interview with a hiring manager and um, very often a subject matter expert along with them, especially if, um, for example, when I was in the language school, if we were hiring a, um, a Farsi uh, instructor, I would be there to assess basically their other transferable skills, and then we would have someone who knew Farsi who would be testing them and um, reviewing their language skills. So you could often have that same combination where there would be a subject matter expert or a SME. Um, so you would be both interviewed to sort of validate the extent of your technical expertise, but then also um, considered for the other skills needed on the job, interpersonal skills, flexibility, adaptability, um, good communication, representational skills. Um, and most importantly, I think a real knowledge of CIA and our mission and um, a desire to support that. We, we grill people pretty hard on that because um, there are so many people who just think it would be cool to work at CIA. And it's another way that we, we sort of weed out those who aren't truly interested enough to done their homework. Because CIA plays a very sp specific role in foreign policy making in the US government and national security. Um, and it's different from that of the military. It's different from State Department, um, the National Security Council. And we, we expect people to have a general knowledge of that when they're interviewing. Awesome. Okay, so Danielle is here. Hi, Danielle. All of my favorite people. <laughs> so Clinton wants to know, hi, Chris, you mentioned that all applicants need to be a U.S. citizen, plus there are overseas roles. Does that mean that the overseas applicants can apply and go through the same checks but work in their home country covertly? just checking? Uh, you need to be a U.S. citizen residing in the United States to be considered for employment with CIA. Then 
um, we may send you overseas once you've um, worked for us. Um, so if you're overseas, you can't you can't practically apply for the 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 agency or other Intel community positions because you're not within the states for us to do a background um, and security clearance, um, the various checks that have to be done. So that that can be a difficult decision. And um, you know, over the years, I would work with people who say, "Oh, I just got this great." chance for two years in Japan. And I'd say, well, recontact me, you know, when you're um, maybe back for for winter vacation, um, six months before you're coming back, and you can start applying then. And then when you get back, we can pick things up. And how long does it take to get through the process? So if a person, you know, applied tomorrow, and they filled everything out on average, how long does it usually take for them to get um, to the point of either decline or, you know, first interview mm-hmm. and then, and then like through the entire process? Yeah. Um, I think it's probably now similar to what it was when I left a couple of years ago um, that we were hoping, they were hoping to keep speeding it up, but frankly, you know, with the pandemic and um, limited ability um to check people out in the clearance process, my guess is it's still taking um, generally nine to 12 months from your application on our website to being hired. I would say it's generally a couple of months up to say two months before you even hear um, the first little bit of interest. Um, I would say between four and eight weeks, um, you would get an email requesting further information or asking you, and or asking you to take some online tests. Um, CIA is very big on occupational testing. And so that would be oftentimes a first screening is taking some online testing, sending in perhaps some writing samples or um, other other credentials, um, transcripts maybe, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then an interview would follow say within a month after that. Um, And then the bulk of the time is um, after you get the job offer, which is conditional on you getting the medical and security clearance. Uh, And that takes most of the time. You you would undergo a background investigation, um, some medical checks and um, interviews, Um, And then a full scope polygraph, meaning a polygraph that is about counterintelligence and security issues, but also some lifestyle um, questions, basically to just ensure that you're overall a a stable person who can hold a position of high responsibility and manage classified information correctly. Does everyone in the CIA have a, a full scope poly? Yes. Wow. Didn't know that. Learned yeah. something new tonight. And we are reinvestigated on average every five years. Every five years. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So Clinton, thanks you. He says, thank you, Chris. I understand. I work with the government here in the UK and went through similar checks. Thank you. Yeah. 
So Simone wants to know, when applying to the CIA, is there a point of contact tied to each job posting? Oh, don't I wish. That's one of the things I love about USA Jobs. But no, um, <laughs> CIA is not that forward leaning in terms of serving the applicant. You will get a um, computer pop up that says we have received your application. Um, don't contact us, we'll contact you. And they'll give you some desired time frame. And then you just have to hope someone emails you. Um, if you don't hear anything, the general guidance is um, you can reapply in a year or at a point after that where your credentials have improved and you may have you know, more to offer. So do you get a decline? Like if, if, if you're not the right fit, do you get an, it just nothing? And so if you don't hear, you just. Right. right After that initial application, all you will get is that pop-up saying your application has been received. If you get into the screening process to any degree, um, you should have a recruiter formally close the loop with you saying it um, at any point, you know, we're not interested. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that happens. I, I know when I was a recruiter, I always closed those loops. If people went to the time to submit additional documentation, to take tests, certainly to interview, we got back and closed the loop. Um, whether you get feedback, that's as, um, as hard to predict as for any other um, job you apply for. You know, some recruiters and hiring managers are more conscientious about that than others. Yeah. Well, we've been telling folks here to, um, you know, I share with them from a recruiting perspective, too, that we can't get back, especially when you have hundreds and thousands of applicants. Yeah. Um, You know, getting back to everyone is just virtually impossible. But yes, you know, getting back to the folks who interviewed or you had a conversation with, like, that's that's different. Um, But, you know. Just put it out there and see what you get. Uh-huh. So, Ivner, and I don't know, I hope I'm pro- pronouncing your name correctly. <laughs> she wants to know is it true that for every federal job we might need to relocate per agency's demand? Is relocation done very often? And are there any federal jobs that don't require relocating? Uh, that's a really good question. And in fact, at Federal Career Connection, we are in the planning stages of. Um, offering a workshop on federal jobs around the country for those who can't necessarily relocate to the DC area. Um, I can say for CIA and the intelligence community, the jobs all start in the Washington metro area at a minimum for required training. Um, Then sometimes you may end up at other places around the country where we have offices that's usually later in, in your career. Um, you'd, you'd either be staying in the Washington metro area or if you applied for a clandestine service job, you'd be overseas for a two to three, to, three year tour. Um, relocation, the agency pays for, both when you're initially hired and then if um, you go on official business, what we call permanent change of station, to another city or country. Um, The movers come and pack you up and move you and um, that's all paid for. And the overseas people get quite generous allowances for for living on the economy. 
That's great. Um, in terms of federal jobs that don't require relocating, um, just off the top of my head, uh, there are a handful of agencies I know that have regional offices just based on their missions. EPA is one. Uh, Department of Agriculture is one. Uh, Social Security Administration, a lot of the HHS offices. Um, so when you go into USA Jobs, um, you can put in a, a desired geographic location. And um, I forget the, I want to say like 40% of federal jobs are not in the D.C. area. It's at least that much. Wow. Yeah. It's really good to know. Okay, I think that is all of our questions for right now. Um, hello, Tyrone. Tyrone's here. So I have another one, Chris. Since we are um, some of the some of the topics, especially this one, I think is a really good one um, that you posed. So wanting to know how the CIA and the intelligence community is preparing to serve the new administration. So I'm assuming every time the administration turns over, there's something that you all do in the background and probably in the forefront too. So I'm, I'm curious about that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm speaking on a general level based on my previous experience, you know, with 36 years, there were a number of administration changes. Um, and that process actually started back when probably when the two presidential candidates get through their primaries. And we know that um, they're running for president. And they, we start um, a, a, basically a program where we start briefing them on select intelligence topics so that they're getting generally conversant with what some of the international issues are. And this is through the Director of National Intelligence and a program pro, pro, program called the President's Daily Brief, um, which then when someone is elected president, the President's Daily Brief is a daily briefing that is customized to the president and to maybe a dozen of the people uh, they designate in their national security um, staff or heads of departments like state, um, treasury, um, defense, uh, maybe a couple others. And all of those people get customized briefings of intelligence by a, a select briefer who is, is picked to, to work with them. And so we, we would have gotten experience certainly with uh, President Biden during the primary. And, you know, there are people who would have served him um, back when he was vice president. And it's a, it's a really important moment for the intelligence community because they're basically looking at the president as their first customer. Um, and then his realm of people who get the president's daily brief, those are our highest priority customers. And so daily briefings will be built for them um, on uh, classified iPads that the briefer brings and either briefs from or if the individual likes to read, um, as Bill Clinton did, for example, you know, they'll hand them the iPad and they can go over um, select pieces of intelligence that have been written up both 
based on what's going on around the world and also what we know is on the president's agenda or on the Secretary of Defense's agenda. For example, if they are going to a summit or um, a, a NATO conference or something, um, the, the articles, including some personality profiles, would be um, written up to customize to what their schedule and agenda are. Um, over time, as the intelligence community learns what a president's priorities are, um, we CIA would shift internally to put more or less resources on those particular issues. Um, for example, uh, when uh, Clinton was president and and Gore was vice president. Everyone remembers Gore had a huge interest in the environment. And so um, CIA really amped up their coverage of international environmental issues and impact on um, stability of nations or on international economies or national security issues. Um, then when President Gore left office, that effort shrank. Um, so depending on my guesses, in fact, my husband told me President Biden just commissioned a national intelligence estimate today on the global climate crisis. Um, so I'm expecting the intelligence community will now put a lot more effort into that than they were asked to in the previous administration. Wow. So those are the big changes that would happen. And if a president wants to see more analysis of different topics, that then trickles down through the whole intelligence collection chain, where we may have to develop new sources of intelligence based on what a president's priorities are, either individuals to, to recruit overseas or technical sources that we may need to develop. So there does end up being these um, ramifications or ripples throughout the whole intelligence collection process, uh, processing and an analytic process until it then is presented to the first, first customer. Simone sums up what I thought about. Wow. <laughs> she yeah. says the briefings start early. Makes sense. Who knew that they yeah. started? So when you have the, um, the, the different parties, in this case, I guess the Democratic Party, party candidate who's now president biden so right when they when you realize like who is going to be the pretty much the runner-up um mm -hmm. or potentially you know depending the final candidates then they start the briefings wow yeah and um it was one of the most satisfying things i did was writing for the president's daily brief because you would then it would feedback from these people briefed would trickle back down through the system to the authors of the intelligence um, that they were reading that day. And they may have further questions and taskings. Oh, well, this was really interesting. Can you tell me more about this? Then you'd be spending the whole next day feverishly writing up um, answers to the president or the secretary of defense's questions. And then those would go back out to them. And, um, so it was really a system that worked where you presented intelligence and we actually got feedback. And daily. So that's nonstop. When did you mm -hmm. sleep, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> well, when I was in um, different crisis situations, 
we would um, even have to get up and be working and able to brief the briefers who went to people like the president at like five in the morning because they would be getting in cars and driven over. Um, sometimes they would be picking up, you know, the secretary of defense at their office, at their home and driving with them as they went to work and briefing them along the way. Um, so yes, you can definitely be, be there early and late. Simone says, wow, I sound like a tourist. Don't, um, don't, Simone. <laughs> I guess we both sound like tourists. <laughs> well, I don't think people appreciate how much responsibility, I know I didn't know this, would go down to line officers and analysts, you know, that you could actually be, be writing, you know, for the senior most people in our government. Um, and I like that because it doesn't mean that you're briefing your boss who then briefs her boss, who then briefs, you know, the important person. Um, CIA analysts would go to the White House or go to the Pentagon. Um, and we, we briefed those people ourselves because we were the experts. You know, a manager would come with you usually and they would kind of sit rather uselessly while you're talking substance with the, the customer. Yeah. Fascinating. So Adriana wants to know, as former as a former law enforcement person breaking into a new field and going to get certified with a CISA plus 002 security analyst, will that be enough to apply without a bachelor's degree? I do uh, do. Ha does having hands on training on hacking the box and capture the flag and those types of things, mm -hmm. um, would that help her? former law enforcement. So I'm assuming I think it's going to depend on the job. Um, I didn't look at all seven of the cyber jobs that are posted before coming. Um, you would just ha be having to look around and, and don't just look at CIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency, the National Security Agency, um, less probably the National Geo Geospatial Intelligence Agency, NGA, um, all of those national reconnaissance organization, those are all intelligence community um, members who would need people in the cyber field. Okay, awesome. And then another person asks, sort of related to the previous question, is there a chance to work in federal cyber threat intel without relocating to DC? And this person has Russian language skills. Maybe in one of those. Um, you would have to relocate here at least initially. Um, and then either probably working here for your career or possibly overseas. Um, we do hire contract linguists, some parts of, of CIA and the intelligence community. Um, but that wouldn't, that would be just, you know, translating um, services. Maybe it could be related to cyber if it was very technical material. Um, but that's, that's not really a career. That's like piecework um, to be to just be doing the linguist work. So yeah, unfortunately, you'd have to really relocate to DC. Okay. And um, all right, Cedric is here. And he comes to these often. Cedric, did you find yeah. something yet? He was here last time, right? When you were uh, on? Yes. 
and he's been with Julie and Alex as well. How are you doing, Cedric? Yeah, Cedric, are, did you find something yet? We need to help. So, um, and folks, you're all welcome to link in with me afterwards too. Um, and that way we could follow up one-on-one. Um, I'm in LinkedIn under Chris Westbrook Talent Development. And then just with your invitation, tell me that you listen to me on the podcast. And then I know sort of where this invitation is coming from. And I'll happily connect with you. And Chris has been, you know, connecting with folks. I know many of you have reached out. So continue to do so. Just make sure that you say where you are reaching out from um, so that she can accept. (laughs) So Adriana says, wow, thank you so much, ma'am. She will look into it. So that is awesome. Uh, Tyrone says, are there any recommendations for how to fast track my federal government cybersecurity career? I just joined the cybersecurity team of a law enforcement federal agency. I have leadership aspirations, but since I'm an older veteran, I'm not sure what approach to take. Um, gosh, there's a lot of agency specific issues that will enter in. Um, I know that from just comparing notes with, with colleagues in FBI, NSA, DIA, some of the other agencies. Um, I think for a while, people around you will expect you to just be quiet and listen and soak it all in and serve a little bit of time until um, maybe a couple years uh, until um, they will look kindly, frankly, on initiative and um, leadership aspirations. It's still a pretty conservative um, part of the government, law enforcement and intelligence. And uh, there's a real, and I think it's overblown personally, but a real belief that, hey, you just haven't done it. If you haven't done it here in CIA or FBI or um, Customs and Border Patrol. So there is that kind of insider culture and parochialism that you need to be patient with. And um, that said, though, there are a lot of ways you can work um the career development side of any agency. For example, um, getting mentors through formal mentoring programs or informal, asking to shadow different leaders, um, and that way, you know, slowly increasing your network um, and then um, reaching out to folks then to say, hey, can I buy you coffee? Well, back when we're <laughs> in the same buildings together, perhaps. So I would say, you know, be be humble and start networking. Um, look for those ways to to get career advice. It, some of it may seem pretty mundane, but they'll appreciate the fact that you're asking and really seeking to know the organization as you move forward. Wonderful. So, uh, Chris, we have ten minutes left. I don't see any more questions in the queue. So I am going to jump in with one more um, that we chatted about. So uh, I guess in 10 minutes, would you be able to share a typical day of a CIA analyst? 
Sure. Did you do that in 10? Okay. Real quick. Yeah. Cedric is saying before I go, he says he I'm, I'm, he's enjoying the knowledge. He's thinking about applying for the CIA after working for the FBI as a contractor. Yeah. And, yeah. You've got the clearance and you're working for a sister agency. So yeah, definitely keep me in mind. Yes, for sure. Thank you. Before we go into that, because I really want to make sure we get the questions answered from the folks here. Mm -hmm. So this might be the final one. John De La Cruz says, curious to know with your experience as a recruiter and for a veteran that applies to the agency, what would help an applicant stand out? Um, really having impact, preferably in an international realm, um, since that's much of what we do, um, but also just having a technical impact, being able to show that um, you made a big difference in measurable and definable ways where you are. Um, because I think we really look for people who are highly motivated, um, taking initiative, uh, exerting leadership in their fields. Um, so there's a lot of those personal qualities that then end up combining with your technical knowledge, right, to, to allow you to really make a difference in what you do. So just being the best of, in what you're doing, not just technically, but in some of those um, necessary interpersonal communication, um, change management now, I mean, I think, I would think all federal agencies now are looking for people who are a lot more flexible and resilient um, because the, the work situation is just so dynamic now. Um, I would hope, you know, for example, that maybe 10 years from now, everyone won't have to relocate to Washington, D.C. to start with an agency like CIA. Mm -hmm. um, it will be interesting to see what kind of long-term changes happen in the federal workspace um, as well as the other workspaces due to this pandemic. And those of you with um, technical credentials and the ability to stay flexible and dynamic are really going to be in great supply, I think, or great demand. I think so. I definitely think so. Uh, Tyrone yeah. says, thank you so much for your answer. Okay, now, I don't know if we could do it in seven minutes. Yeah. <laughs> day in the life <laughs> of a CIA analyst. Well, remember, I, I told you it's the analysts who write for the President's Daily Brief and yeah. also for other publications that go throughout um, different parts of the U.S. government from the desk level on up if people have a need to know about international developments. So um, it's very much kind of a publishing schedule where you would come in early in the morning and go over with a computer profile you've developed to search for things in your area. Like, let's say you're looking at Russian cybersecurity operations. You know, you would be looking at all the intelligence that's come in in the previous day to see if there is something there that is big enough that you need to write an item for the president or for some of our other um, now 24 hour um, online publications. And um, 
Offices have production meetings, usually around nine in the morning. And if you have something, a breaking development you think you need to write on, you propose that in your team meeting. And then that proposal goes up um, to the president's daily brief and basically editorial boards, like in newspapers, make decisions of what they would like written up that day. And um, if word comes back down by late morning, yes, you know, we want a president's daily brief on this new cybersecurity development in Russia, then you're spending your day writing that up um, in a very defined way uh, that has been proven to, to get the president's or other person's attention. Um, and then that is going through an editorial review process. Um, and your day would be pretty much writing that item and then possibly coming in super early the next morning to brief a briefer if it's something where um, they may need a little bit more technical background um, to be able to answer questions. If you're not writing, writing um, a breaking intelligence story for that day, you could be working on a longer term intelligence assessment. You could be um, going to briefings a CIA analyst brief, outgoing um, ambassadors and defense attaches and legal attaches from the FBI. So oftentimes we will brief people before they go out to a country. And if we're lucky, they'll let us debrief them when they come back either on home leave or at the end of an assignment. So we can then learn back from them, you know, what it was like dealing with their foreign counterparts on specific issues. Um, you could be going to a brainstorm session with a colleague who's got a new paper idea and wants to get people together to, to brainstorm how to develop that. Um, so it's a lot more of a din dynamic, team-focused environment than I think many people realize. Sometimes you're sitting alone at your computer researching and writing, but a lot of times you're working with colleagues in CIA, in policy agencies or in other intelligence agencies um, to get your work done. And a good analyst would know his or her colleagues in all those different agencies that monitor and work on the issues that you do. Wow. And is that the type of role that most entry-level people are going into or are there various paths? Are they put into different types of positions? Oh, there's many paths. Okay. That would be a cyber analyst. Um, mm -hmm. You could come into the Office of Security. And in that case, you would be working on aspects of personnel or IT or physical security. You'd have a whole different kind of training program. Um, or you could be working um, on the scientific and technical side. So yeah, there's, there are a lot of pathways into entry-level positions at CIA. That's great. That's great. So yeah. final question here. Carmen asks, how does the government, how does a career look like for uh, professionals, or a professional mom? I think the agency um, in particular and the federal government in general are, are quite family friendly. Um, even at CIA and the intel agencies, we had flexible work schedules. Um, you could come in early and then leave earlier. You could take every 10th day off. Um, so there's a lot of flexibility that way. 
Um, they're very good about um, maternity leave or um, having to take family leave as you need to. Um, it's, you know, like everywhere else, it's, it's people trying to make work and family work. Um, in some of the fields, some of the times you'll ex be expected to um, really put your career first if you can. My husband and I, you know, I met him at CIA and we just had to balance things. If I, I was in a high pressure job, ideally he was not, you know, so you had someone to care for the home front while the other person was really focused on their career. Um, but I, overall, I think it's very family friendly. And, and overseas, even more so, um, you know, the U.S. Embassy and um, overseas group is very tight-knit, almost like a family. And you get a lot of support from the embassy and the, the other U.S. government officials around you. Fantastic. Simone said that flexibility is speaking my language. Yeah. So <laughs> good for working moms who want to see if this is even a possibility. Yeah. Can I just say that um, yes. the Federal Career Connection is having its next workshop on 2 February at okay. 630. And so if you go to federalcareerconnection.com, if you're interested in learning more about the federal government, um, that one is actually going to be on exploring federal career paths. So that would be a great um, one to take in for seeing what your different options are, not just in the intelligence agencies, but across the government as a veteran, as a working mom, as a recent graduate. And what date is that again, Chris? I'm trying to put it uh, Tuesday to February okay. at 6.30. So Federal Career Connection, folks. Federal Career Connection. Um, yes, go to the website. You. That's where Chris is. That's where Alex is. That's where Julie and all of these awesome people are who come on here and give us this amazing knowledge and uh, information on the federal government <laughs> that I'm learning more and more about every time we talk. Yeah. So it Good. is, it, it, it is a, uh, it's wonderful. And I really, really hope that some of our people that come on the podcast and ask and ask these great questions and come to the live streams um, will end up, you know, over at Federal Career Connection, getting all the, the, the scoop and the details and hopefully apply and get through the process. And at the end of 2021, we can say somebody or some people were a part of uh you know, coming through here and doing the, the 221 and 2021 challenge. Yeah. <laughs> so for anyone that hasn't been, had, that didn't hear, I mean, it's 801, so I'm going to hop off. But um, I said it earlier today, um, we had eight people hired in the month of January so far. We're trying to go for, we're going for 10. It'll be down to the 11th hour. It is January 27th. We have four days left. So please uh, continue to put your information out there. Tag us, put hashtag InfoSec hires, either create a one minute video or less or a blurb about what you're looking for and tag us, tag um, Renee, me, James Azar, Naomi Buckwalter um, and Chris Folon. So do that. And then we also have, um, we're going to do it actually for the whole year. 
So Chris challenged us to do it. Chris Folon challenged us to do it for the entire year to get 221 people hired this year. So we are super excited about that. Chris, thank you so, so much for being here. I My am pleasure. fascinated by your stories and just having you here, giving us this wonderful, you know, so much knowledge, so, so much information, all those years of experience that you have, those 30 something years in your brain, it comes yeah. out. <laughs> so super duper excited as always to have you very excited that you were come back and hopefully we'll see you again in a couple months. Yes. Yes. I look forward to that. Thanks yeah. again for having me. It Thank was a pleasure. You. And thank you, everyone that's out there. Thank you, security peeps. We'll see you tomorrow on Cecil Thursdays. Bye, everybody. In the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity, your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business with a decade and a half of specialized experience. We're not just advisors. We're your strategic partners in growth and risk mitigation. Our tailored advisory services range from immediate hourly guidance to comprehensive three or six month packages, all supported with encrypted messaging for real-time assistance. For more information, cpfcoaching.com is your destination. Forge a path to success and distinction in the cybersecurity landscape. Connect with CPF Coaching LLC today and secure your business's future.